Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. Welcome to the latest All-American Spook Show podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Donnie, Yo. Tiana, hey. and the Professor. What's up? And today we have a guest from the Hero Movie Podcast, the one and only Mr. Bruce. <laughs> Thanks for letting me join along. I'm not as uh, much fun as Willie, but I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. He's not here. You know, it's almost like it's it's a given at this point. Like, you know, I'd say most of our <laughs> listeners are going to be like, it's more of a surprise if he's actually here than if I say he's not here. We haven't done a... Well, I guess we... What was the last cannon fodder we did, Donnie? That was uh, Frog Prince, right? So it's been it's been a couple months. <laughs> That's the one that kind of... Did it retire the bit for a little no. while? We didn't have to do that one? <laughs> no, I think the, the, hol- you know, the holidays just kind of got in the way. I think we might have skipped a, a week or two there in the rotation. So it's been a minute. It's been, well, pretty much exactly two months ago uh, when we did it, because that one came out November 13th, so... Um, it's time to time to return back to form here. And honestly, man, this one was a breath of fresh air that the the random wheel spin landed on Braddock missing an action three because we did the Frog Prince two months ago, and then before that it was Emmanuel four. So we had two. Oh man! And then we had I would have had to I'd have had to say thanks, but no thanks on both yeah. of those. <laughs> I almost did on all of it. Like we almost shut the whole production down. It's like that's it. We're done. <laughs> For the people that three Emmanuel movies weren't enough, you got Emmanuel four. Oh yeah, and then they made like ten more after that, right, Smoke? Yeah, maybe not canon, but over yeah, you had all kinds of other offshoots of Emmanuel, right? <laughs> yeah. Ugh. The the, le- the the less said about that, the better. Um, but like even before that, though, we took a little bit of we took a hiatus with Cannon Fodder back during the summer because we had this Spook Show summer disaster. So even before that, it was Ninja Three: The Domination. So it's been a while t- to bring us here to get us back to a, a pretty good one. From Emmanuel Four and the Frog Prince, so such such is the wheel spin, right? Yeah, because we went to wheel spin just so that we wouldn't just unconsciously pick all the good canon movies. Yeah, we just yeah. leave it up with and sometimes the wheel is kind, but usually with that many movies on there and that many stinkers, you know, we're canon is beloved for all of us, I think. But there's no denying that they put out a lot of stinkers. Yeah. It really is like a crapshoot because there's some good ones on their uh, oeuvre, but boy, there's stuff I didn't even know existed on there too that. Uh, I probably could have been just fine never knowing about it. Yeah. Well, thankfully, this isn't one of them. So, But before we dive into that and go into the background and everything, uh, I want to throw out first that uh, we encourage you to go over to aaspookshow.com. We call that the center of the Spook Show universe. From there, you can go check out our YouTube channel, where every month we have Hammer Horror in Order, Video Vortex, Grindhouse Gutter, lots of cool series over there. And, of course, the podcast episodes are uploaded there as well. Also from aaspookshow.com, you can go to our past podcast archives every episode up until current and um you can also go to our patreon from there and also patreon.com slash a spook show and every month you get a video minisode and you also get craftster piece theater the we we hate doing it but you guys love listening to it feature of patreon so and this month we're gonna have uh, 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 uh I, I dare say like probably a better than usual selection 
that we're going to be watching on uh, January 26th that comes out. And we'll be talking Stop or My Mom Will Shoot from 1992. So uh, <laughs> I haven't watched it in a very long time. So, you know, I'm just remembering in my mind maybe that it's better in my memory banks than it is, you know, whether it still holds up or not. I seriously doubt. I mean, it barely held up in 1992, right? <laughs> so, oh, man. It was not beloved. No, but I'm telling you, compared to some of the stuff that we've had to watch on Crapster Peace, yeah. I think this will be beloved. So, But we'll find out at the end of the month. So with that all out of the way, let's go ahead and toss the trailer for Braddock Missing in Action 3. Saigon, 1975. Colonel James Braddock left behind more than memories. Your son's name is Van. He's alive. Now, 12 years later, he's not just a soldier going after the enemy. He's a father searching for his child. You must pay for the crimes that you have committed against my beloved country. Until he discovers a generation left behind. The orphans of a forgotten war. Now, Braddock is on a heroic mission of mercy. Get the truck! Chuck Norris is fighting for everyone who can't fight back. Don't step on any toes. I don't step on toes. I step on necks. Chuck Norris. Braddock, missing in action three. All right, there you go. That's the trailer for that. So one of the main reasons, Bruce, that uh, that we asked you to come on here and that you wanted to come on and talk about something, a little project that you've had going on, right? Oh, yeah. I uh, have a short film you can see on YouTube. It's called Werewolf Fighter. And uh took me a lot longer than I anticipated. But now that it's done, I'd love for some folks to check it out. So you can go to YouTube and look for Bruce Leslie, Werewolf Fighter. I think it's the only Werewolf Fighter movie you're going to find on YouTube. <laughs> but if there is more than one, it's the one on the Bruce Leslie channel or at Anime Dads. Another way you can search for the channel. But I had a lot of fun. Made it with my kids and some friends, some local theater people. And it was my first time trying to do something like that. And uh, I'm I'm kind of proud of it. I mean, I'm not trying to sell uh, sell it for more than what it is but it is a fun time to watch it's 38 minutes with credits 37 minutes if you want to skip the credits and uh, i say check it out if you don't like it, you can turn it off halfway it doesn't cost anything yeah i actually uh went and checked it out myself and um it it's a lot of fun i'll say that it's, well, thank it's, you it's it is a lot of fun um I mean, obviously, you're not going to be uh, submitting it for any Oscars or anything like that. But <laughs> hey, now, we're not, we're don't speak on my behalf. <laughs> okay, well, maybe, for your consideration, then, <laughs> Werewolf Fighter. Are YouTube videos eligible for Oscars? Yeah, maybe it's an Emmy. I don't know. We'll get you a spot in Variety, put it in all the trades. You're, <laughs> you're in business. I, I, I just got to sell it as a documentary, and then it's really intriguing. I did watch it on uh, YouTube, and I didn't notice if there were any other Werewolf Fighters, so... I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's going to ping too much. You you might have the uh, lead there. If you, I, I think that I cornered the market on werewolf fighter shorts. I really do. Yeah. So we encourage you to go check that out. Uh, obviously, Bruce is a big friend of the show, and we encourage you to always help out our friends. And uh, we'll, we'll post a link to the video over on YouTube uh, here in the show notes. So if uh, you don't want to appreciate it, 
you'll see the link down below. So, um, all right. Well, as far as Braddock is concerned, Donnie, is this the first time you've ever seen this one? No, no, I've seen this, uh, well, several times as a kid, but, um, yeah, I, like bits and pieces. I'll say this. I, I think this may have been, I don't know, maybe the th- third time I've probably watched it all the way through, but I've seen bits and pieces of it over the years. Bruce, what about you? Is this the first time you've, I've never seen any missing in action movie. And you know, the, the strange thing is I, I feel like I would have wanted to, I just never got the chance. Growing up, my dad had a VCR, but I spent most of the time with my mother, and we didn't have a VCR, so I couldn't even, like, rent stuff, didn't have HBO. So what I got to see was kind of spotty, but uh, never seen any missing in action movie, so I thought, why not start with the third one? I'm almost <laughs> – that's always the best place to start. At least I loved G.I. Joe as a kid, so this would have been right up my alley. It, well, you know, if, if you're go- going by the George Lucas method of, of watching stories and, you know, <laughs> yes, you know, it's not far off, but – I, I want to say that the first time I probably watched this was like a, a, a completely mutilated edited cut that was on like local TV. I'm almost positive of it. Like, you know, Saturday matinee. Tiana, what about you? Is this the first time you've ever watched it? Or? I think I've seen it a while ago. That's probably about from the early 90s. And Professor, what about you? I don't remember if this ever played in the theater. If it did, I know I didn't see it in the theater. Uh, oh, it did. I saw it probably on video and maybe this might be the third time probably up. I haven't seen it more than three times. I'll put it that way. Probably, yeah, I've seen the other missing action movies definitely more than I've seen this one before. Well, I guess here's as good a time as any to go ahead and toss to Austin Trunick, author of the Canon Film Guide Volume 1 and Volume 2, which you can find on Amazon and various other places you get your books. Every episode of Canon Fodder, we always welcome him on to give his a little bit of background as only he can deliver it, and we call this Canon Chronicles. Canon Chronicles with Austin Trunick. Hey there, Spook Show listeners. Austin Trunick here, author of the Canon Film Guide series of B-movie history books. I'm here to share a few of my thoughts about Braddock Missing in Action 3, released on January 22nd, 1988. The title of this movie was, of course, inspired by 1985's Rambo First Blood Part 2. While Chuck Norris's vengeful Vietnam vet James Braddock may not have been a recognizable household name in the same way that Sylvester Stallone's vengeful Vietnam vet was and still is, the two movies that Canon released first in this series, in particular 1984's original Missing in Action, have been big hits for Canon. With the initial movie placing first at the box office and launching Chuck Norris's career to an all-new level, Now, the Missing in Action movies may feature one of the most convoluted timelines of any movie trilogy, with the first movie taking place in 1984, the sequel actually being a prequel set in 1974, and the third movie opening with a scene that takes place in 1975, in between those first two films, and the rest of the movie set in 1987. I'm often asked whether the chronology works in this series, and after making multiple headache-inducing charts, it does work, I can say that. If you're willing to accept that John Braddock immediately returned to Vietnam after escaping from his POW camp, met and married a local woman in just a few months, and managed to father a child just before the fall of Saigon in April of 75, that's a pretty tight timeline, but it is technically plausible. Now, when it comes to Chuck Norris's canon sequels, I personally prefer Delta Force 2 over Missing in Action 3, but this movie does have a lot of fun stuff going on. 
The ending in particular is delightfully crazy in my eyes. It has an injured Chuck Norris rescuing a truck full of orphans and then teaming up with his long-lost child to shoot down an enemy helicopter. I feel like that's about as Chuck Norris as it gets. I know that we are mostly horror guys here, so I feel compelled to confirm that yes, that was They Live's Keith David with several seconds of screen time right at the beginning of the movie. And if you're scratching your head and wondering where you recognize the actor playing Father Polanski from, it's probably just about any other canon movie you've ever seen before. That actor is Yehuda Afroni, an Israeli actor who appeared in more Golden Globus productions than anyone else. You'll see him in The Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood, Dr. Hapkel and Mr. Hype, Nana, Hercules, The Seven Magnificent Gladiators, Delta Force, Rumpelstiltskin, Sleeping Beauty, Hannah's War, Emperor's New Clothes, American Ninja 3, Sinbad of the Seven Seas, Ten Little Indians, and A Man Called Sarge. And that's not including any of the films he appeared in for Golden Globus back in Israel or before and after they took over canon. That was a guy that Golden Globus liked, and whenever there was an opening in a movie, no matter who it was, they knew they could call up Yehuda and get him in there and put him in the movie. And he did a great job. Every role he's, he's great in. It's a very versatile character actor. I, I do love that man. And on that note, I'm going to bid all of you adieu. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the episode, folks. And in my limited research, uh, I saw that uh, Chuck Norris was watching like 60 Minutes or 2020 or something. And they did a like a little segment, a special segment on the kids that had been left behind, like with American fathers and, yeah. you know, the Amerasian children, as they call them in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh and when he saw that, he said, you know what? I want to do something for those kids. I want to make a movie where I pretend to rescue some yeah. of them. <laughs> and then he has a little public statement, you know, at the end of the movie to tell people there's still 15,000 of them left over there. But I, I do feel like it was kind of personal for him. And I had also read that he was a little upset with a shocker that uh, the the Canon picture guys, uh, Golem and Globus, he felt like weren't promoting his films adequately and it was hurting his career. Yeah. So I know there was a lot of fighting over who would direct this. And it was finally third times the charm when it just so happens, you know, a blood relative gets the directing job, the first ever directing job and kind of ambitious. There's pyro and helicopters and like a hundred extras in some of the scenes. Kind of crazy for a first time gig. It was actually supposed to be Joseph Zito returning to direct. He was the first director, but they had some, you know, the old creative differences line. And then, and hey, if you got creative differences with Chuck Norris, you best walk away before he kicks you yeah, in the head or yeah, something. Yeah, you're dead. Otherwise, just hit the bricks. And he did. And uh, then Jack Smite took over for a minute, and then he faded away or went away. Whatever happened there. And then it was uh, Aaron Norris, Chuck Norris's younger brother, that actually directed it. Did he ever direct anything else? He did. Um, although it was mostly just Chuck stuff, you know. <laughs> Because this is one of those things where you get the feeling that Aaron Norris got the credit, but maybe it's like a second unit guy or an AD did most of the actual directing. Yeah, I'm, it's poss- that is totally possible. I mean, but like he actually did, you know, at least on IMDb, um, he went on. This was his feature debut. This is the first thing he ever directed. But he went on to yeah. do Platoon Leader, Delta Force 2, The Colombian Connection, The Hitman. So hey, even uh, one of Donnie's favorite sidekicks. So it was a bunch of. Chuck's movies, <laughs> but 
I mean, I have, I think I actually did see Sidekicks, but I don't remember it for some reason. But I got to say, for a premiere director, I, I'm impressed with what we got here. That's why I think he had to have a lot of help, or maybe even Chuck ghost directed it or something. I think he's always, from what I understand about Aaron Norris, is he he has gotten a lot of credit for writing a lot of uh, Chuck's uh-huh. stuff, you know, or you know things that are similar to Chuck's stuff, right? So it's it's a formula that he knows well, I guess. So. I was going to say it's not really like. Uh, High art like Lady Chatterley's love. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, of course not. The hell's wrong with you? <laughs> that that will come back up here in just a second. Um, and, and if if I can like kind of keep horning in here, uh, one thing too in my mind, you know, I think of Canon as a lower budget B movie kind of produ- production company, but I kind of forgot that they're still, you know, they still made a decent film because when I watched this at first and we got all these extras, I'm thinking, okay, they're using a lot of stock footage, and then I realized, wait. They're actually on a helicopter. They're shooting this in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. This had like what I would call a, a couple episodes of a team level budget. And I was impressed with that because <laughs> for some reason in my head, I expected a little bit less. Yeah. And, and too, this was like later Canon, you know, this is like, this is probably one of the n- many nails, final nails in the coffin, to be honest with you. They've, they've already blown through all the breaking money at this point. But yeah, pretty much. But, yeah. Have they made over the top yet? Because that's what put them down on the bottom. Yeah, that's that. I think that it came out a year or two before this. So yeah, that that's already in the past by this point. This was in '88. So maybe what Cannon needed was a little Chuck Norris kicking the ass. But uh, <laughs> since Chuck's getting up there in age, maybe he's just not you know around. Maybe he doesn't have the boost of energy he needs to give the roundhouse kicks like he could back in '88. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That actually that reminds me. Uh, we we talked about. Uh, uh, the magic mind, you know, yeah. last episode. Yeah, we were talking. Yeah, that's right. We were talking about that last yeah. week, and uh, we, we've actually partnered with them to uh, kind of give everybody a discount. But we, we can kind of describe exactly what it is before we get into that. Like, this is more of like it's an energy drink, right? But it's more of like something you drink with your energy drink. So, like, I guess with your energy drinks or your coffee or your tea, whatever you have in the morning to kind of get you going, you can drink a, a, a little bottle of magic mind with it in the morning and. Uh, you can get like a full day's boost of energy and uh, kind of helps helps you focus, which is all going to lead to better productivity, right? Yeah, I, I actually did try it. And, uh, um, you know, one one thing about, you know, kind of my experience was like uh, energy drinks, you know, they, they keep me up all night. I'm usually uh, up until the next day, uh, which is dumb. But uh, and they also, <laughs> you know, just kind of increase my anxiety and, and kind of make me wig out every now and then but uh um yeah since uh you know trying magic mind i you know i do you know you talk about you know feeling focused and i i feel more productive uh certainly less stressed and you know not as anxious as um and something else also is that i'm actually sleeping better well, i think that really goes into what the ingredients are the stuff that's in it, like matcha tea. Yeah. Uh, it's got ashwagandha, which that's, uh, specifically there to help reduce stress, stress and anxiety. So yeah, uh, I take that anyway. I take little, uh, little ashwagandha gummies, which I still take. Yeah. So th- um, there's a little boost with, uh, your daily yeah. magic mind. And it's also got lion's mane mushrooms and cordyceps mushrooms. So it's loaded with all, all that good stuff. If you're into, uh, the natural ingredients, type stuff this is i think this is the thing for you so really what you want to do is you want to go check out their website magicmind.com slash j-a-n all american that's uh our our uh our link to get you there and you put in the code all american 20 
That's right. It's All American 20, all one word. And that will give you an extra 20% off, which gets you to a total of 75% off. Now, this that code that we just gave you in, the, in this whole thing that they got going on this month, that's till the end of January. So, uh, once again, it's magicmind.com slash J-A-N All-American, and then you put in the code All-American20 when you're checking out. Uh, you, you you know, the benefits, I think you'll see the benefits like we did. We tried it out, yeah. and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So, check it out. Uh, to that, we'll go ahead and get into some of the background information. This was released January 22nd, 1988. Of course, it was produced by the Canon Group, Golden Globus Productions, distributed by Canon Films, of course. Rated R, total runtime of one hour and 43 minutes, which is kind of long for this type of flick. Uh, on IMDb, it's listed as an action-slash-war film. It was filmed, like Bruce said, in the Philippines uh, for roughly from March to June of 1987 for a budget of $9 million, which kind of sounds pretty high for <laughs> for a Canon movie, to be honest with you. But it only went on to a worldwide gross of $6.1 million. So definitely a flop. But adjusted for inflation, it was still less than they spent. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah. <laughs> um, when we have this, we always like to point it out. I've got the top 10 in the box office the weekend that it came out. So this was the weekend of January 22nd through the 24th, 1988. Uh, number 10, Fatal Attraction. Was it, Good Lord, it was in its 19th week. So that thing just wouldn't die. Number 9, Return of the Living Dead 2. Number 8, The Couch Trip. Number 7, Throw Mama from the Train. It's a good week. Number six in its opening weekend, Braddock missing missing in action three made two point <laughs> two million dollars, and it, believe me, it had nowhere to go but down from there. Uh, number five, broadcast news. Number four, for keeps? Question mark. I've never even fucking heard of that movie. Maybe if I see some image from it or something, it might ring a bell, but I don't remember that one. Uh, number three, Moonstruck. Number two, one of Smoke's favorites, Three Men and a Baby. Mm. Right. <laughs> and number one, and maybe, and maybe this is why Braddock didn't do well. There was confusion in the market. Number one that weekend was Good Morning Vietnam. Oh man! So <laughs> out of that whole list, I saw two of those in the theater, and one of them was Moonstruck. <laughs> so you actually saw Good Morning Vietnam in the theater? Yes. Yeah. Wow. My dad took me to see that, and he took me to see Moonstruck, and you know. I didn't ask to go see Moonstruck, but I did want to see Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> was it? Did it happen to be a double feature? Like you went. And saw <laughs> that would have been the world's weirdest double feature, but no. <laughs> only, only close to like if you just saw broadcast news with Throw Mama from the Train on the same weekend. <laughs> yeah, somebody did. Somebody out there did exactly that. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, it's uh, interesting to always look back when we have the top ten numbers. But uh, you know, we laugh. Good Morning Vietnam. You know, it's like. Well, you could see this really well done Robin Williams, you know, Vietnam comedy movie, or you could see Braddock missing, missing an action three. Right. So, and I would have sworn that uh, return of the living dead part two was a straight to video. So I was kind of surprised to hear that on the list, even though it's a fun flick. I watched it not too long ago. It's been forever since I've seen that movie. I can't even tell you the last time. And actually that was in, it, uh, in its second weekend return of the living dead Two that week. So it had already been, it had already got probably most of its play right there. But yeah, it only grows $6.1 million, which is uh, kind of sad. And honestly, it probably should have done a little better than that, you know, but maybe by that time, you know, just everything, maybe there was Chuck fatigue, maybe there was Cannon fatigue, maybe it was just, you know, the marketing, like Chuck tried to uh, blame it on, who knows what all the reasons I feel like the, the Rambo sequels and Commando, there was like people that, uh, even though personally, I think I prefer Chuck Norris to the 
action movies of people like Sylvester Stallone and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I just think that this really felt third rate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's fine enough for what it is, but maybe just the concept of these movies that kind of played out by this point, you know, cause it really does feel like there's about 85 of these types of movies that were made <laughs> yeah. in the eighties, you know, the <laughs> Rambo, whatever, you know, let's go and, and, and what the, the Vietnam war had been over for 14, 15 years at this point. Roughly. Yeah. Uh, one, uh, kind of downer note that we should point out, you know, cause I think it needs to be brought up. If you're talking about this movie, there were actually four military and police officers that were killed in a helicopter crash in Manila Bay, literally like right around Memorial Day. So this was like towards the end of filming for this movie there in uh, 1987. Is that what? Yeah, 1987 when they were filming it. And ironically, it was only like a day or two after the Twilight Zone movie, Not Guilty Verdict, had come back. And I think uh, this isn't the only time a Chuck Norris movie had a helicopter crash with a death. No, I think I saw where there was another one years later on... uh, I don't remember. I think it was. Yeah, I don't remember what it was, but I I, I feel like it happened in two of his movies. Yeah, I think it was Delta Force Two, where it happened a few years later. But and I think it was Ferdinand Marcos in charge of the Philippines at this time, and the guy loved Hollywood movies. At least that's uh, what Joe Bob Briggs uh, had said when he was talking about some movies made in the Philippines, and he would just let you use his military equipment if you made a movie there. Like he, you need extras. He'd send the army in to be extras. Like that's how much he loved the uh, film industry. And I think that's what this was, was a military helicopter that crashed and killed four people. So yeah, that was tragic, but I th- I did think it was ironic that it was like pretty much right at the same time that the, the twilight zone movie verdict came back, like literally within days. And I don't, I don't want to make light <laughs> of something where somebody died, but I hope it wasn't one of those sweet rocket launching helicopters there that was at the end. Yeah. I don't, I don't, from what I understood, like, and this was like an old article that I found on LA, the LA times at the time, I think they were just kind of scouting out some spots. Like, I don't even think they were shooting. Oh, okay. I think there was just some military personnel or police and police officers on here. And there was like one guy from the crew that was on the uh, helicopter when it went down. So I think they were just scouting some locations or something when it happened, but and, and at that time, at least, I think they were just thinking it was just uh, like an engine malfunction. I'm not sure what the final result on that was. I should have looked it up. And once again, I feel bad for anybody who died, but I'm glad that there weren't like extras just trying to make 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, People just yeah. trying to have a little fun with the movie involved. Uh, this was directed, like we mentioned, by Aaron Norris. That's the younger brother of Chuck Norris. This was his directorial debut, and uh, he was actually an uncredited writer on the movie as well, but credited it. Credited writers were James Bruner and Chuck Norris. Now, James Bruner, he had worked on the first Missing in Action, Invasion USA, uh, the Delta Force, the first one. And, of course, Chuck Norris is uh, Chuck Norris. So we know what we all know him from. He also stars in the movie as Colonel James Braddock. What do you think? Like most people would probably, if you hear Chuck Norris, other than just resident badass, you you probably instantly think of like Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, maybe go a little bit further back the way of the dragon invasion USA. Right. The, like those are probably some of the first what, things that are going to come to mind. What was the one where he's like in Rome and he fights Bruce Lee. That's what I always think of as my oh. first selection. Yeah. Which and one then the, well, there, there was that different things, right? Dragon. I think it was return of the dragon on VHS and then, but technically it was way of the dragon, I believe. Yeah. Right? yeah way of the and dragon. then I was a pretty big fan of the Chuck Norris cartoon show for the two weeks or so that that was on. <laughs> God, what was the name of that thing? Because I, I do, I vaguely remember that. It's almost like that Rambo cartoon. It was like Chuck Norris and the Junior Rangers or something weird like that. 
Yeah, they, I don't think they can make those kind of cartoons anymore, right? Karate Commandos. Chuck Norris and That's the Karate it. Commandos. That's it. It was right up there with the RoboCop adaptation with cartoons I used to love. These are like cartoons they just straight up cannot make anymore, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, like R-rated cartoons. movies. Yeah. Toxic Crusaders, <laughs> the toxic, uh, yeah. Yeah. toxic cartoons. It is funny. Like, you look back on it. Yeah, they were straight up marketing R-rated movies to, to us, like to kids at the time. You know, like, here's the Rambo cartoon. <laughs> Buy the action figures. Meanwhile, you I'm go surprised there wasn't like a, like a camp, out. Jason Camp 13 uh, cartoon or something like that. I like a so. wacky summer camp cartoon where Jason Voorhees is just in the background as like a lovable monster. I guess that's the one shark they wouldn't jump. <laughs> you found it. Um, it also stars Aki Along. I think that's how you say uh, his name is General Guac. <laughs> he was in nine episodes of the 80 series V. Uh, he was also in Dragon, Bruce Lee's story. I mean, but he's been in tons of movies and television shows. Uh, Roland Hera III is Va- uh, Van. This is uh, Braddock's kid in the movie. Uh, he, you may recognize him from Kung Fu the movie. It was the movie based on the show Kung Fu. Uh, unfortunately, he died. I couldn't find a, what happened to him exactly, but he died in 1995 at the age of 21. So he was oh wow really young. But I, mm. I didn't see exactly mm. what happened there. It also stars Mickey Kim as Lynn. That's this is uh, Braddock's wife in the film. She may you may recognize her from Primary Target and the uh, she had a pretty good run on the uh, soap opera Days of Our Lives. So like thirty or forty episode run on that. Yeah, as far as background stuff, that's about all I had. Did you guys dig up something else that I didn't mention here? I thought, well, this maybe isn't necessarily background on this movie. It's something we already mentioned, but it's weird that we've had two movies in recent memory that have had fatal helicopter crashes. The other one was uh, Hands of Steel. Yeah, we did on video, <laughs> and that one was Little cheap bit. enough to where like they might have kept that shit in the film, right? Like, the mo- yeah, the moment of impact might have been in there. <laughs> I think it went under the bridge, and you know they did it in uh, trying it out before shooting or whatever, and it was fine. Then when they went to shoot it, they hit the pylon on the bridge. They did hit the bridge somehow and went down and killed. I think it was two people, right? A pilot and a stuntman. Rough. It was in it, and uh, yeah. Another thing, though, about this one, and I, I don't know how much he did of it. We're talking about Joseph Zito directing the first Missing in Action. He was the original director attached to this movie and actually directed some of it. But what I couldn't find how much. And then Aaron Norris, there was a falling out between Chuck Norris and Joseph Zito, and Aaron Norris took over. So talking about that earlier, like I wonder how much of that was Zito and how much of it was Aaron Norris directing as far as, you know, I don't know. It, I couldn't mm-hmm. find any information on the ratio of scenes in it. Now, I don't know how much they got done before Zito stepped away. He was a second unit director. That was what he was listed as first. That's all I could find is that Aaron Norris, second unit director, took over from Joseph Zito. But at what point, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the only other thing I found was um, uh, General Guac, <laughs> yeah, which is a great name. Um, you know, he, I'm going to make a T-shirt, by the way. Yeah. I got so, um, Go ahead. He actually plays Colonel Guac in the... Uh, the TV show Airwolf. Huh. Oh, I got real Airwolf vibes too from those uh, souped-up helicopters there at the end. I still remember so the theme su- song. So you're suggesting that this is a <laughs> this is a universe, like this is a shared universe between Braddock, Miss Airwolf, and Airwolf. It is possible. Yeah, or- Ernest Borgnine. Yeah, and I guess if you want to loop in Devil's Reign with that, so. No. Uh, and then, and then you come back around to Michael Myers. It all fits, man. It's time to refresh. 
For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand with a parade of items to tempt your taste. Hot buttered popcorn, golden good and fresh from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich and full of flavor, ice cream and other good things to eat, plus ice cold Coca-Cola. So bright, so bracing, with a taste and tingle all its own. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I went over, I didn't even bother typing in Missing in Action because that might that might have gave us some serious uh, stuff to talk about. I didn't want to talk about that. I just typed in Chuck Norris to see what would pop up. And sure enough, we've got Against All Odds, My Story by Chuck Norris and Ken Abraham. That one is seven and a half hours of pure Chuck. <laughs> There's another one here called Black Belt Patriotism. How to Reawaken America by Chuck Norris. Six hours and 21 minutes. And it's just Chuck wearing a gi, like in full karate pose. <laughs> so the co- if the cover... I had that up. poster. Yeah, well, there you go. It's probably the same one. And let's see. The official Chuck Norris fact book. 101 of Chuck's favorite facts and stories by Chuck Norris. Uh, that one is uh, just over four and a half hours long. So there's a handful of other things here. Uh, and I'll let you go type in Chuck Norris over on audible.com and see those for yourself. So if any of that floats your boat and you want to go get your free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash bookshow for your free audiobook. So now I'm going to hop on back over to imdb.com and click on the plot summary to see what, see if we have a really long one so it can help Donnie understand what this movie was about. Oh, we do. We got, <laughs> we got a good one. First, we got the one sentence. Braddock mounts a one-man assault to free his wife and son who are still being held in a Vietnam prison camp. You know, that generally that would do. That's really all the explanation that's needed, right, for this. But no, RCS0411 at yahoo.com went on IMDb and submitted a little book for you, Donnie. <clears throat> Colonel James Braddock has a Vietnam, oh, I'm sorry, has a Vietnamese wife who was supposed to leave Vietnam with him when they evacuate, but she loses her papers and wasn't allowed in the embassy. Braddock went looking for her, and her friend took the bracelet Braddock gave his wife and was in an explosion. (laughs) When Braddock finds the body with bracelet, he assumes it's his wife, so he leaves Vietnam. Twelve years later, a reverend in Vietnam who was visiting the States approaches Braddock, telling him that his wife is alive and that he has a son. Braddock doesn't believe him at first, but when a man at the CIA asks him to meet with him, Braddock realizes it's true. So he tries to get them out. So he contacts a friend in Thailand to get what he needs. As they are about to leave, the CIA tries to stop him, but Braddock gets away, gets his equipment, and heads to Vietnam. When he arrives, he goes to the orphanage for Amera Asian children, where the Reverend works. He takes him, takes him to them and is surprised to see them, and his son resents him because he thinks he abandoned them. What he, the grammar here, right? They try to leave, but a Vietnamese colonel takes them. He kills his wife and subjects Braddock to torture. Braddock escapes with his son, whom he says to go to the orphanage. The colonel goes there and takes the reverend and the children to a prison. Braddock then tries to rescue them. So, like, there's only, like, one sentence away from the very end there. They pretty much explain the entire movie <laughs> blow by blow. Right? <laughs> Good Lord. That Donnie, was your audiobook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we still encourage you to go over to Audible. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Try yes. those out, of course. But, yeah, that, that pretty much explains it. So, uh, yeah, as far as this is concerned, I think you gotta uh, you got to start right from the beginning, the fall of Saigon. I was really impressed with this. Like I kind of uh, alluded to earlier, at first I thought they were just showing some stock footage of the actual fall of Saigon, but then it becomes clear that that they couldn't get these kind of shots using stock footage. 
And uh, for something that I went into with maybe some low expectations on production value, I thought this was really good. The chaos in the city, all the people running around, the thing where the, the truck rams into the embassy and folks are trying to jump over the barbed wire. I was impressed with all that. And I really enjoyed this this opening part about the abandonment of Saigon. Is that is that where the uh was the Viet Cong or some of the some of the people that are just beating on the already burned up cars and stuff? Is that the same? Yes. That's yes. exactly what it is. They're it already of, like burned up and extinguished and they're still like ah, wailing on them. They're just with, fuck, like fuck this car. <laughs> I don't know if uh, any of you guys have seen the movie RRR. No, I've heard I've heard good things, but I've never I've never seen it. it. It opens up with something similar where the the quote unquote natives are getting restless and then this action star guy just runs out and beats them all up. And I was really expecting Chuck Norris to suddenly jump out in the crowd and just like beat up a thousand poor Vietnamese folks. But yep. thank goodness that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I think the only thing that brings it down, I, I agree with you, Bruce, that like this is well shot, you know, like as far as what this is, it looks well, it's, you know, reenacted, so to speak. It looks pretty good, except that music that they put under it. It sucks. Like whatever that was, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't oh back boy. They, the they definitely uh, missed. Uh, maybe the reason that this lost money is entirely because of the, the music by Jay Chataway. Because boy, they make some strange decisions, even in the closing credits song. It might, is it the same song that opens it? It's at least similar, right? Because they're talking about it, freedom it, and eagle flying. It sounds stuff. like a guy who really wishes he was Lee Greenwood, trying his best to sing something weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jay, Jay Chataway himself is kind of a hit or miss kind of a composer, right? Because when he does those types of songs, you know, a standard traditional folk rock, whatever you want to call it, song, not so good. But when he does the synth stuff, like he did this, the soundtrack to Maniac, I believe. Uh, didn't he do RoboCop? I think he's a big Star Wars or Star Trek guy. Yeah, yeah, and that too. So when he does the synth stuff, I think for the most part it's all right. But when he starts to do those types of of you know standard rock slash whatever songs, not so great. <laughs> and it sounded—I wasn't listening to every word he said, but it sounded like every other word was Eagles or Freedom. Like yes, blah, 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 <laughs> that's blah, where blah, the Lee Greenwood freedom, stuff comes into play. Blah, 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 Eagles fly, blah blah. Yeah, it was pretty it's like I, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be rock country, blue eyed soul, and I don't think he could figure it out either. <laughs> and then he's just like, fuck it, it's a Chuck Norris movie. Nobody <laughs> <will> really care. <laughs> They're here for Chuck, not me. But like we you know, mentioned in the uh, description there, uh, his wife Lynn is left behind during the fall of Saigon because he mistakes her charred up body for this other woman. <laughs> and it, it, it was funny how they set it up too. Like, this girl's like, she's trying to pack her shit to get out of there. And this girl's like, oh, you're just going to leave all this cool stuff behind? Can I take this and this? And then she takes the bracelet, puts it on. So she's dressed exactly like her. So you immediately like, oh, this is going to end poorly. And then he's going to mistake her. Boom. Sure <laughs> they, enough. They even take the time to show us the flashback of him in bed with his uh, wife, giving her the bracelet. Yeah. Like, man, that, talk about a little bit of unnecessary exposition. But I guess <laughs> they wanted to make a hundred minutes out of this. Yeah. Well, they had to pad that runtime. Yeah. Like. They wanted to make sure they got their money's worth out of that, that 9 and, million that they were putting in. And when they're showing that flashback where they're in bed together in what looks like, I guess, her apartment, I don't think that, like, soldiers in the Vietnam War just happen to have nice apartments. Mm. <laughs> I mean, at least that's not what uh, Oliver Stone led me to believe on his movies. Yeah. I started to wonder, like, when does he have time to court this lady? Like, aren't they fighting a war? Like he's in a hotbed, right? A hotbed of action. He's a special forces guy or something. You know, he's not just a cook. This yeah. is no under siege situation. But they just happen to have a, a, a late 80s decorated nice apartment 
that they get to live in. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's just a war going on. I got time to like lounge around in bed with my lady friend. Yeah. How about the, uh, uh, hold on. I, I've lost train, my train of thought on what I typed here. Douchebags. Oh, the, the, uh, the guy that shot, like when they're trying to get out of Saigon and he's up on top of the roof. And then the guy that tries to pull the woman out or he does pull a woman out, right. Yeah. To take her spot. And then Braddock comes over and tosses the guy out. <laughs> he shoots Braddock. And then that soldier just turns around with that, that mounted <laughs> gun with, and just lights yeah. that dude up. It was like the ending of Bonnie and Clyde there. How much he was blasting <laughs> the guy. I mean, like one shot would have done it. No, like 48 bullets later. That also, that was a pretty scary location that uh, Braddock got shot in there, the back of the lung. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he easily survives that. I would like to kind of rewind a little bit. Uh, and if <laughs> we can't do it now, but just the way you're like, oh, I lost my lost my train of thought with what I wrote here. And then you just kind of whisper douchebag, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wrote, right under your breath. I wrote, I wrote douchebag something. I was like, who's a douchebag? Oh yeah. The guy that pulled the, Oh, I, I thought that was directed at me for getting you off your train of thought by yammering on too yeah. much. I mean, fucking douchebag. No, no, no. no. <laughs> well, yeah. If you look at my notes, yeah, there's a lot of that uh, shorthand going on there where it's okay. Douchebag number one, douchebag number two. I do like how much, I mean, you know, this was all filmed in a short period of time, but Chuck Norris really does look a lot older when they go to modern day and he's in the bar. And, and I like it that the, uh, the priest comes and finds him. And I was like, I don't know, where's this bar at where the priest comes and finds him? Yeah, like we're in America here, right? That part makes no sense. Like how, how the hell would it, that? It, it, like, I think you go to the guy's address. I'm imagining he lives in a in a rundown apartment because all Vietnam vets did in movies yeah. in the 80s. And, and, he, and, and you know, you go knock on the door, you know, and Lieutenant Dan's not at home. I imagine you, like, sit on the steps and wait for him to come home. You say, I'll come back tomorrow. But no, not this priest. He's going to go yeah. drag him out of the bar and give us a little excuse for a fight scene. Or you just say, well, I tried, and then you move on. But no, <laughs> he tracks like, him down. Man, he he really loves that one kid. Was is he? Why is he not doing this for all the other kids? Don't they have dads too? And it didn't even look like a proper bar. It looked like a like a tiki bar or something <laughs> outside somewhere. Like so, he really had to do his homework to track him down here. Oh man! I just thought you should know. You have a wife and child. Good day. And then, <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I don't know how you guys are. Sometimes I'm a little distrusting. Like sometimes I'm on the lookout for maybe a scam or something. So I may want to ask some follow-up questions and not just jump on a boat to Thailand or whatever yeah. he does. Well, he remember now he was dismissive of it until the CIA guy, little John screwed, screwed the pooch and like called him in. Like you may get a crazy reverend. <laughs> you know what? I, for, I had oh, somehow managed to miss that detail. Yeah. So thank you for helping me with that. He, yeah. He was going to come like pretty much. It sounded like he completely dismissed it. Then this guy calls him in. Uh, if you hear some crazy rumors, they're not true. And then just like, <laughs> now I know, you know, <laughs> see, I'm the other way. I'd be like, good. That's the, that's the get out of jail free card. I was waiting for yeah. Now I don't have to go to Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. There, but I do, I do like the Australian guy he meets in Thailand though. Yeah. Well, uh, Mick, I think is his name. <laughs> He's the kind of guy I want fly me around in a decrepit C 37 or whatever that plane was. I'm not an airplane guy. I don't know the names of planes. I think you're pretty close. I think because I saw somewhere one of the, uh, 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 it was a C-47. Hey, that's pretty good for yeah. me. I, I'm yeah. not, I'm usually off by more than 10. Yeah. <laughs> he reminded me of the character. There was a character in the first Missing in Action Smoke that was almost this exact same character. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The boat, the gunboat. Yeah. Well, the, the gunboat guy. Boat. Yeah. <laughs> guy. Yeah. <laughs> True. And I mean, forget about the story. Just like if I'm actually there making this movie. I'm a little nervous when that plane takes off. Like, I'm surprised this isn't the the aircraft that crashed because that thing's going sideways and tilting and stuff. And, you know, maybe they were doing it on purpose to kind of look good for the movie, but I felt like that might have been genuine, that that plane was barely airworthy. <laughs> yeah, probably. But it was only like, didn't it, wasn't it like 10 feet from the water? <laughs> yeah. I, I also think that, that this is... <laughs> This is how all tourism should work, though. If you want to visit a country, you should have to jump out of a plane with a jet boat yeah. and then make your way to the shore. Forget about passports. Yeah, not just a speedboat, but Jesus. a fucking boat with a jet engine attached to it. Like, Is this a real thing? Because if so, I kind of want one. Yeah, James Bond-level shit with this boat. It was... And also totally wasted that, that chase with that boat yeah. was really underdone. Cause I could have gone for a nice extended scene. Like to me, you say James Bond, that's good. I kind of thought like a Batman type. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It, it did feel like Batman 66. Like and, and the gunboats are starting to chase him. And I thought, Oh, we're going to get to see him do some cool stuff. Nope. But it should have been a jet ski. Also. I think I would have gone better with the jet ski. He just took off and just left them in the dust. And then, by the but he way, didn't so, start it first. I like that little yeah. twist. By the way, somebody uh, found an awesome boat because didn't he just leave it? <laughs> he just he leaves just left, it. Yeah, yeah. Somebody come and holy shit! There's a jet engine boat sitting here. This is mine now. And when he jumps out of the plane, all I could think was, uh, you know, when you're Chuck Norris, the plane should jump out of you. But that's not yeah, what happened. Yeah, yeah, doesn't quite work. I do love also that you said this should be like the tourist thing when he jumps out. Uh, part of the tourist experience should be see you in hell because, because <laughs> that's always the line when like in these movies, when somebody like I've, I've, I've helped you as far as I'm going to help you, you know, now we like, have to part ways. See you in hell. Like, I think if you want to go visit Paris, you should have to parachute into the English channel, climb up the, the cliffs of Calais or whatever, and just make your way to Paris without being caught by the authorities. So that's how you should have to travel. <laughs> yeah. Then you get the big family reunion when he goes and he, he finds uh, his wife and child. And uh, then General Guac immediately shoots Lynn in the forehead. And, uh, you know, it's a weird nit to pick when I'm watching this movie because I'm having a lot of fun up until this point. Still having fun. Mm-hmm. But the squib on her forehead looks like a big giant pimple that popped because like the, the latex or whatever around the squib, it is not smoothed out very well. So it looks like a little tiny volcano. And that took me out of the moment because this was so realistic up until then. That's where the, the, this is canon, you know, full, full in effect there where they, they, they cut weird corners. So I'm sure that's probably one of the corners right there. They needed that nine million <laughs> to, to get all the helicopters from the military. And I really thought they were going to shoot the kid, but I'm glad they didn't. That's my standing position on shooting kids. I'm glad when you don't. You know, story-wise, though, it does, like, you almost kind of expect her to die, but not quite like that. You know, like. It seems abrupt. It was very abrupt. Just kind of like, okay, screw her. Pow! Right in the forehead. She's gone. No prolonged, like, torture. No, I'm going to hold her until I get what I want out of Braddock or anything. No, he's just like, bam. She's gone. So it was pretty brutal. She uh, she had a call time the next day for Days of Our Lives. She couldn't stick around and shoot anymore. Donnie, what did you think of the shotgun share? Awesome. I mean, it, it's... <laughs> sorry. It, 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 he's like, sorry, we usually have a uh, uh, shorter. I'm um, No, I'm sorry, taller people. So he has to lower the shotgun. <laughs> it, it made me wonder how often they use that. Like, I couldn't imagine you have. I don't care how 
evil and vindictive you are, you got a pretty iron grip on the country. I couldn't imagine you need that more than three, four times a year. <laughs> so it seems like it's got a lot of square footage for something you don't use that often. <laughs> like, couldn't you just store it in a shed and then pull it out when you need it? There, there needed to be more shit in the room is what you're saying. Like, they, they need to maximize <laughs> yes. their storage space. <laughs> I, it made me start to wonder, like, what is the real estate situation in Vietnam? Maybe they got plenty of it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, Seemed like a lot of square footage wasted on a uh, shotgun chair. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think of like I think back to Rambo, where they had a room with just a mattress. It's just the springs of a mattress, and they had electric like tied it to a car battery. So like, yeah, that was an awesome scene. There's a room for that. There's a shotgun chair room. There's you know specific also, rooms on these bases. <laughs> you don't want to be the the cleaning lady that has to clean up the shotgun room. Oh God. That was one detail that they should have had is like more like old blood or something on the chair because you know they're not they're not really. You know if it was a if it was a saw movie they would have had it. True, it would have. In fact, been. that's a very saw setup. Now that I say that. Yeah, you know what that this might have been early uh, early ideas or concepts for for saw just the shotgun chair scene. And I couldn't see that there was any utility to it other than just just simply be sadistic. No, no, I you know I guess to get information out of the other guy, but like. Yeah. But he said, I'll give you information. He still wanted to do it anyway. Yeah. Like that's his, how he gets the jollies. Yeah. And then, but then like, didn't it, uh, it didn't even go off when he finally like forced him down. Yeah. So it was just a, just a, he was just talking all the way from the beginning. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's just saying, ah, <laughs> take the boy out of here. And that was it. <laughs> he didn't get anything out of it really other than just to fuck with him. Like you said, but of course, uh, he, he even get like very, um, well, was a very adamant, very uh, impatient, you know, guac or whatever. Well, he's sitting up there tapping and banging on the thing like yeah. he expected it to go off, you know. But yet all the time he's just playing the long game, I guess, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course they escape, but uh, uh, Van, there's a bunch of other kids that they have uh, captive now because they took a bunch of kids from the orphanage. And so now they escape, but they uh, managed to get Van and the other kids. So now Braddock has to go get them out. How about when he goes to the uh, to get the kids, right? Braddock is he's busted into the base. I think he's taken out a couple guys, and then there's a guy that goes up, takes one of the younger girls up, and he's he's about to have his way Abuse with Abuse her. Yeah, <laughs> he comes in with a grenade launcher. Or oh, that's the best scene of the, the movie, the, man. It, it's not even it's beyond a grenade launcher. This thing's a super gun. I don't know what kind of gun this is. That he's got. And I thought maybe it had like a big bayonet blade that came it out did, of it or it something did. too. It the a, noise it made. It did. It, had yeah, a, it was like a blade bayonet. <laughs> with a grenade launcher strapped to the bottom of a, you know, like an AK-107, whatever the hell he's got. I mean, this is, it's a super <laughs> It was gun. a great scene because you get the delayed explosion after he's already dead. Yeah, so Waste like of he, a good grenade. He, I think he shot a grenade at, or something at the first guy, right? And just kind of disarmed him. Like that guy went flying. Then the last guy, the rapist. Yeah. He shoots him with a grenade launcher in the gut. He flies out the window or the door. I think out the door, right? Beautiful. Lands. <laughs> and then, boom, then he blows up. But he, like, lays there for a minute, and you think it's over, and then, boom, yeah. the delayed explosion is what sold it to me. Wasn't he also the one to get the uh, the switchblade bayonet in the stomach, the rapist guy first? Yes, then he, yes. Yeah. With the grenade, and then out the door, and then, yeah, boom. <laughs> yeah, and not, That's when you want to make sure that a pest is dead. Yeah, which... <laughs> <laughs> they really wanted to drive it home. Like this guy was a piece of shit and he deserves everything he's about to get, you know? <laughs> so, and he got it, <laughs> but that was, that was crazy though. Like the grenade just, the, the, the impact of the grenade launched him through the door and out <laughs> and out into the courtyard or whatever the hell. And then, 
then he proceeds to lay waste to the entire army base. I mean, he probably killed 30 or 40 guys with this. It was great. I mean, you know, from a guy like me who can really detach himself from the reality of what's going on and just enjoy an action movie. I I wish that I'd seen this more in the time that it was made. Like I could just sit and watch this kind of stuff all day long. Oh yeah. Yeah. If anything, if there's any knock on this movie, there's not quite enough of that. Like you want more of that in this type of movie. You know, if if you're going to do it, do it, you know, (laughs) I kind of wanted more like uh, mono a mono stuff, though. I wanted a little like, you know, John Wick has spoiled me for this kind of thing. Imagine Chuck Norris in his prime making a John Wick style thing where he has to fight his way through the camp oh, with yeah. like improvised weapons and stuff. Yeah, that would be awesome. Would be good stuff. General Guac, when he finally gets away, Braddock! <laughs> <laughs> that was a very A-team moment for some reason to me. Yeah, there was, there, there really was, you've brought that up a couple of times. There really was an A-team vibe to this, wasn't there? It's, you're right about it. Yeah, that. Was, of course, you know, on, on the A-team, they all like jumped when it exploded. Nobody died. But if you actually had casualties, that's what this felt like. Yeah. All the gasoline fires going up, you know, like <laughs> the, the uh, sort of the trope of the, the slow moving car hits a bush and explodes in a giant fireball. That actually happens in this movie. And it is appropriate that you bring up the A team because they go up, they hijack a plane and go up with all the kids and everything. And then it crashes. So that would have been a team like, <laughs> Oh, and Braddock yeah, yeah. driving the big, the big, uh, personnel carrier thing, like the canvas covered truck yeah. through the water and the helicopters are shooting at him. And you know, I, in the, in 1988, I wouldn't have known any better but now as an adult seeing like the news coverage and stuff, I don't think helicopters miss trucks when they shoot rockets at them. <laughs> <laughs> Braddock gets Especially injured. 15 or 20 times, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It was a lot. Kind of fast forward to the end there where Braddock gets injured by a grenade, but he still stands up and uh, they're having like this big showdown on the bridge, like across the bridge, like, is uh what is it, Thailand that he's trying to go to? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. they're like at Somewhere. the border of yeah. I guess Vietnam and Thailand, and like nobody can come across this bridge. But of course, they've got to get over there with the kids and everything to get them to safety. Of course, Chuck managed, or I'm sorry, Braddock managed to to take down um General Guac in in the chopper. Like there's this mid air face off. Like there's a game of chicken between like a couple of American helicopters and like General Guac. Like, oh, they won't. They won't dare do a thing to me. And then he just kind of turns around and Brad. Kind of anticlimactic, actually. A, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big kind of moment, but yeah, it's, it's not as uh, big as you would expect. I wanted to see the kids running across the bridge while he laid like cover fire at the helicopter yeah. or something, or even better. I kind of wanted to see him just start grabbing kids and slinging them across the river. <laughs> <Just>. <laughs> he could have easily done it, but you know, he didn't want to show that kind of muscle here. Plus guac, you know, that, you wanted to see him go out in a more glorious way, just from being the douchebag asshole that he is. <laughs> Once again, I'll compare it to Rambo. Like, wasn't it Rambo th- two or three where there's a face off with the helicopter? Right. Yeah. I think it's three. It, it, I think it is. And Ram- that was the same year. Didn't this, this movie came out in 88, right? Yeah. They had very different budgets though. In those two movies. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. One is Canon and one, you know, one is something good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was eight. Uh, it would have been good if, if Guac had done like the ha ha ha, like yeah. with his mouth open real big, and you see a rocket from the uh, other helicopter fly into his mouth and blow his head off. That yeah. would have been cool. And then that, <laughs> and then that Chataway song starts up again. Freedom, give me the eagle to ride to <laughs> church and freedoms. That that would have been uh, that would have been a lot better ending there. But yeah, of course they, you know, Braddock 
picks up the shotgun or shotgun. He's got the machine gun and he manages to take the chopper down. Then they all run across the bridge safely into Thailand. You know, then you get the 15,000 Asian kids are still. And, and I kind of wonder when they throw that postscript up there, what they want me to do about it. Cause I, I, you never met me really very much in person, but I am not Chuck Norris. Like I, I feel like the walk could probably beat me up if I went over there. Probably. But I think the intent was for everybody to pick up machine guns. And go to Vietnam. Go back to Vietnam. Yeah, that's that's what this was all about. <laughs> to start to start the Vietnam War all over again <laughs> over these poor kids. Well, there you go. That's Braddock Missing in Action 3 from 1988. So here on Cannon Fodder, we have a, a slightly different scale. It's more of the sliding cannon scale, as we like to say. So it's like we're not comparing this to like legitimate cinema or really anything else <clears throat> that we do here on the on the show. This is more like comparing it to the other canon movies that we watched and stuff like that. And so it's zero to five cannonballs instead of stars. We give out cannonballs here. So Bruce, since you're the guest, we'll let you go first. Zero to five. How many cannonballs do you want to give it? I loved every minute of this movie. I mean, I will be watching this again. I joked about that. I had to buy it, but now I'm glad I can watch this thing anytime I want to. And I will. <laughs> And I'm going to see if I can get the MP3 of that closing song to annoy my family with. <laughs> but I'm going to give this four and a quarter cannonballs. Donnie, what do you say? Oh, man. I don't think I can give it any less than five. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, like, I mean, it's just, it's a ride from, you know, from the opening bell. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm I'm at five cannonballs. Uh, Tiana, what do you say? I give it two. What? <laughs> Not a big fan. <laughs> I love well, Chuck no. Norris movies. One is a little eh for me. It's a bit. Mu- it's a bit much. T- too much Chuck. Is that what you're insinuating? <laughs> oh, not much Chuck. Just the story, I guess. Just kind of gets boring after a while. Smoke. What do you say? Uh, I enjoy this one. That's. Uh, I mean, if I were rating, I, you know, I need to see the <laughs> two again because I don't remember the last time I saw Missing in Action two. So I can't. I don't really know if I if I like this one better or. or or not as good as Missing in Action 2. I definitely like the first one the best. And uh, Bruce, I, de- I recommend you for those. Yeah, you might, definitely. You, know, you might not like as much. It's not as good. I can see why Canon decided to go with this, you know, the yeah. one that they decided to go with as far as uh, yeah. those Missing in Action. It's great. And I can't remember what I gave it, gave it, but I'm pretty sure I probably gave it five. You gave it, yeah. We all gave it five, except Austin Trunick actually gave it four. But the rest of us oh. gave it five Cannonball. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's what I was. That was I, I forgot that uh, Austin gave it four. That's actually where I'm at in line with with this one. So I'll give uh, Braddock Missing Action three four Cannonball. I think, man, I mean it's good, but like to me, it's there's too many slow kind of boring moments in it to quite go five. Really? Like, yeah, like it's not. It's just not as nonstop as I was kind of expecting it to be. You know, especially for the. I, I thought. Uh, go ahead. We just for this time period, like I'm thinking, like man, 1988. You've got the other Rambo movies, the other Missing in Action, all these type of movies that are very similar. Mm-hmm. I just had a, I had more of a, a vision of like just more nonstop. You know, yeah. even though you could argue there's probably a slightly better story going on here. You know, they're actually trying to make a, a moral point or something right here. Like you know, I get exactly how we're supposed to help. Like Bruce said, I don't know, but at least there, there was some kind of real quote-unquote real-life issue going on here that they were trying to, yeah. you know, put on the front burner here. But I don't know. I think I'm going to go – I'm going to go four. I'm going to be more in line with what Smoke just said. But that being said, I would watch this again. It's 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 a blast. Yeah. 
there's just not as much as I would like to see. I think there would be there were more grenade launcher scenes, right? <laughs> I just want a little bit more of that. And I'm I'm totally on board with a five, but for me, it's yeah, still great. Yes, yeah, so definitely, definitely more of that jet boat would have been great, like we yeah, were talking about yeah. earlier. Like, like, said, like if you awesome. in, or even an M six, some kind of some kind of machine gun mounted to it, where he like. I, just, I mean, once you spent the money to make the jet boat, you should ride it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, some, somebody somebody randomly found an awesome gift hiding in the bushes. <laughs> And I like to imagine too that Cannon really left that thing, just left it sitting there. <laughs> Fuck it, next scene. That was, that was a personal gift to uh, Ferdinand Marcos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I think overall, we, you know, except for Tiana, she only gave it two cannonballs. But I think for the most part, we all agree this is roughly about four and a half cannonballs. So we highly recommend it. And uh, I, I dare say, uh, Will and uh, Austin, whenever they get a chance to finally give their input on it, they're probably going to be about the same, if not higher. So it wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, before we leave this one completely in the dust, Cannon Connections. All right. So, uh, Cannon Connections, probably no surprise here. We got uh, Chuck Norris on the cast side. Uh, with Invasion USA and Missing in Action, uh, both previous canon, uh, canon fodder episodes. And then on the crew side, we've got director Aaron Norris, um, also dating back to Invasion USA, where he was a writer. And he also did the stunts, uh, or, you know, he's part of the stunt crew for Missing in Action. So that's what we got. All right. Well, I guess uh, that'll pretty much wrap it up here for. Uh this go around with cannon fodder. Obviously, uh, Bruce, we want to thank you for joining us. It was a, it was a blast having you on and, uh, hopefully we got to do this again soon. Absolutely. And once again, we encourage everybody to go check out his short film werewolf fighter. You can watch it on YouTube. Like I said, uh, the, the link should be down in the show notes, unless I forgot if, if so, that's my bad, but should be down there. Go check it out. If not, you can search it on YouTube. Where else can they find you, Bruce? Uh, you can find me on hero movie podcast where we talk about, all kinds of movies, not just hero movies these days. So you, you can look for that too, but werewolf fighters, the most fun of the things I'm promoting right now. If you guys want permission, you can start doing your own cannon fodder or some subsidiary of such. <laughs> I want to do like full moon fever where we cover Charles Band's work. <laughs> oh God. You know, that's a wonderful title. <laughs> it's coming to the YouTube channel soon. Full moon fever. <laughs> Sign me up if you nope. do that. Cause yeah. I'm a glutton for punishment when it comes to Charles Band. Please don't give us another idea. We might run with it. So we, we've got, a, we've got enough on our plate. So. It's old stuff like wizard video and all that. Yeah. Empire is some of the best stuff. So for, uh, uh, Oh, before I, uh, bid everyone, uh, the final ado, we, we need to tease what we're going to be talking about next week. And episode 196 next Monday will be Will's choice. They live. From also, ironically, oh, nice, 1988. So, mm. uh, apparently, we've got uh, we're in a mood for 1988 these days. But yeah, that'll be coming up next week. So, John, uh, John another John Carpenter classic starring uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, Keith David. So we'll be uh, finally getting around to that one. So that's one I think we've all wanted to talk about for a while. Oh yeah, gonna be a gonna be a blast. So, um, one more thing close out of this yep talking about David, talking about keith david did y'all catch keith david's cameo in uh this movie and missing yeah, action three he was at the gate yeah which is crazy because yeah. like you know i'd say he'd built up a fair amount of uh cachet at this point wouldn't you think i mean after the thing and uh i know uh you know they live hadn't come out yet but you think he's a, a, a big enough name to just be the dude that checks the clipboard 
at the gate in, in Braddock, you know, like it should have been a bigger part. I don't know I what that like, was about. Weird. I didn't know he was even in this movie until we were watching it or whatever. We saw it. Yeah. But I mean, I, he was only in it for that scene. And I'm like, well, what the, I don't know. He's a big fan of Chuck Norris and he just wanted to be in a Chuck Norris movie. He had to be in the area when they were shooting this. I don't know. Yeah. I, I really felt like he was just in the area and they said, come on, it'll be fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either, either that or he wanted like a free vacation to the Philippines for, you know, a week or so. We're talking about these guys don't give away anything for free, man. Yeah. Look at who we're talking about. <laughs> true. True. All right. Well, that, that's enough. So uh, for Will, who couldn't join us, Donnie, Tiana, Professor Smoke, and for Bruce, I'm Josh. We are from the All-American Spook Show podcast. We'll talk to you next week for They Live. Please replace the speaker on its rack when you're ready to leave. Failure to do so will damage both the speaker and your car. We'll be grateful, and so will the patrons who follow you.